Welcome to Steelcast. Since we started these podcasts back in March, the intention has always been to find people, places and subjects that are of interest to people all across Tartar Steel in the UK. While we started in the hub in Portalbot, the only integrated steelworks in the UK portfolio of businesses, it wasn't long before we travelled, virtually, along the M4 to West Wales to speak to Joe Gallagher and Trostra, then up through Mid Wales to Shotton on D side to speak to Bill Duckworth, then across into England for the first time to speak to Gary Blackman in Corby. Then we went up north to Hartlepool, where we met Andrew Ward, stopping along the way briefly to hear from UK Procurement Director Joe Lane. And now, not exactly the last leg of the journey, but certainly in terms of major manufacturing facilities, we've come back down to Wolverhampton in the heart of the black country, where we find the headquarters of Tata Steel's distribution UK and Ireland business. Now, for those of us who have been around a bit, we remember the time that British Steel was taking over and buying up processing and distribution businesses like there was no tomorrow. Iconic steel brands such as Lie Spencer, Boss Sampson, Steelstock, all consumed by the Goliath that was British Steel. The purchase of Walker Steel in 1989 helped the founder's son Jack to take over Blackburn Rovers FC, who a few years later went on to win the Premier League. But then slowly but surely, the smaller sites found it difficult to be competitive and the company started to concentrate its expertise on fewer and fewer sites. Add to that, of course, the sale of the long products business and the product and service centres associated with it, and the current business is almost unrecognisable from those days. But today's distribution UK and Ireland business remains critical to the company's strategy and to the upstream businesses, as well as a key route to market. My name is Tim Rutter, and today I welcome to the pod someone I might argue I've known all my life, having both been born in the same hospital in a small corner of Essex. Today's guest is the Director of Distribution UK and Ireland, Malcolm Boyles. Now, Malcolm, we've actually known each other quite a while. Our paths, I think, first crossed in Evervale in uh, in the packaging business in the early 1990s. But tell us a bit about your path uh, to your current role. Ah, yeah, afternoon, uh, Tim. Uh, I think I predated you in that hospital by a couple of years, mind you. <laughs> Look, it's great uh, to hear about the, um, uh, the history of um, distribution UK and Ireland. Uh, um, and uh, no doubt we'll talk more about its future coming up. But yeah, a little bit of personal stuff. Um, I joined the company in London in 1985. I worked in Alberton Embankment, which is just on the South Bank, uh, right opposite the current um, uh, head office at Millbank Tower. Um, pretty much straight away after after a year, I went to work in Cogent in in, in Newport, which was uh, which was then uh, Orb, and I worked there for a few years before. Um, going into Strip UK, based in Lamwern, in a building which is now uh, um, some housing. I was responsible for uh, um, uh, export sales in, in certain markets, um, and a job I did for a few years, and then moved around a bit more. Went to be customer service manager at Port Talbot uh, for uh, for a few years, uh, which was a very interesting experience. So it gave you the, the broad range of. Of, uh, of experiences uh, right right across the company. And then, Tim, I guess that's where we first came across each other in packaging in, in Ebervale in 1996, um, which is where I stayed until the until the, the merger uh, in 1999. And then I took the decision to, um, to go work in Spain. We just bought a, um, a distribution and coal rolling company in Bilbao called La Menación y Derivados. And I went over there as general manager for a couple of years, which was, um, again, a great place to, to, to live and work. Um, coming back, I, I've really been involved in downstream businesses ever since, uh, being responsible for construction products in Lamwern, uh, for Katnick and Caffili, 
for panels and profiles, now building systems in, in Shotton. And in Feb- February 2017, I took over at Distribution UK and Ireland, which is, uh, which is a fantastic job because you really are at the sharp end. Uh, you, you, are, you are close to the customers and, uh, um, and close to the market. And, um, and it's a real commercial business, Tim. Yeah, yeah. And uh, kind of, I knew you'd been around a number of sites, Malcolm, but I didn't quite uh, recall or, or know that you'd been quite so far afield uh, throughout your time. And I guess in, certainly in those days, it was expected that, uh, that people moved around sites a lot more than, than maybe now. And maybe there's more opportunities. But now you've ended up in distribution. Now, the word distribution is, is, is a bit of a misnomer, probably. We should clarify because you're part of the business. You know, it does much more than just distributing steel in smaller packages. Can you explain a bit more about the scope of the business, the sort of products you supply and the sort of sectors that you serve? Sure. Um, look, as you say, distribution implies that, that we're a transport company. Um, mm. But actually, what we do do is add an awful lot of value to the steel that Tata produces. So firstly, a, a few few dimensions, really. We have around 600 employees with five sites. Um, as you say, historically, many, many more. Mm. And we operate in four countries, Northern Ireland, Wales and England. Uh, plus, we have um, sales uh, offices in the Republic of Ireland. Dimensionally, we do 600,000 tonnes of sales per year, roughly 50,000 tonnes a month. Um, and about half a million tonnes comes from the UK manufacturing assets. So that would be... Um, probably in the main hot rolled coil, uh, but also uh, galvanised and cold rolled. So we're actually a very important part of um, Tata's um, footprint in the UK. And we sell about a sixth of of the product that's sold in the UK from those assets. We have a huge number of customers. Um, We have around 2,000 and we supply a, a wide range of sectors. So um, uh, automotive production, uh, heavy vehicles, um, you know, the JCBs, caterpillars of this world. Uh, we supply the construction industry. We supply the agriculture industry. We supply the packaging industry, enclosures, engineering. And one of our large customers um, is the, the, the Royal Mint. We make, uh, we make one and two P coins and other exotic coins out of slipped pickled and oiled coming from Wensfield. Yeah. And so, to be clear to, for, for people listening, you know, that, to understand exactly what you do with the product. So the material comes in as a coil and then, you know, you do a whole range of things. You know, it's not just slitting and blanking and so forth. You've got you've got a whole range of equipment there. It will give a whole range of different product outcomes. Yeah, and that's, that's absolutely right. And, you know, most customers can't use steel in, in, a, in a big, you know, 25, 35 ton coil form. They, they, they can't. They don't have the equipment to do it. So we need to to break it up and initially process it for them. So, um, you know, we, we, um, we slit, um, we blank, uh, we decoil, uh, we press blank. So that would involve, for example, you would see um, the basic footprint of, of, a, of an automotive body part in a, yeah. in a two-dimensional shape that, 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 that we produce. We can do that both in steel and, and aluminium. Um, we, we, we make crash barriers uh, in... Uh, in, in, in Lamwern and yeah. uh, and we can also profile uh, shapes to supply again the likes of Jack Caterpillar, GKN uh, and, and, and JCB. Um, we, we supply in very small quantities so typically a couple of tons per order 
and very much on a just-in-time basis. So a lot of what we do, we take the order on day one and deliver on day two or, 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 <laughs> or day three. So yeah, things which is that, a bit of an anathema for the steel industry, isn't it? Yeah, no, things that the, that the mill is just not sort of set up to do, and that's why I guess all those years ago, British Steel took the decision to buy to buy to buy to buy Walker Steel because of, of that route to market get gets the company into customers that it can't do otherwise. So we're there to to as an outlet for for the works, but we're there to add value in various different uh, forms. And you know, we have an automotive business in Steel Park. We have a slitting and decoiling business in steel park and a profiling business in in steel park and then if you go to uh if you go to our heavy gauge business which is actually based in in lamwern so uh this is a, a fantastic um state-of-the-art um decoiling unit which is actually at the end of hot sheet finishing in lamwern and we have a business in lisburn in ireland which does everything to be honest and serves the whole market and uh, slits blanks and decoils um and um, in addition to that, um, most of what Strip UK supplies into its uh, external market in the UK goes through Roundup Rail, and it's our responsibility to uh, to manage that as well. So let's not forget that. So a, a huge range, as you say. Yeah, and I know in previous podcasts I've mentioned about places being jewels in the crown, but uh, you know I've been to Steel Park many times, and uh, it never ceases to amaze me when I walk into a particular part, which I'm going to ask you to describe in a moment where it looks more like a car manufacturing plant uh, with no people, shiny floors uh, and a bunch of robots in the corner doing some amazing stuff. Tell us a bit about your your facility there that uh, yeah. the 21st century. Yeah, no, we, we are very fortunate that um, we've had some really good levels of investment into the company in the last few years. And we, we've just commissioned in the last um, uh, nine months a, an unbelievable um, multi-metal banking line, does steel, does aluminium, um, and, and it's mesmerising to, to, to actually watch it produce. But the, the, the robots that you're referring to are two tailor-welded blanking lines, yeah. um, and um, they are. You can sit and watch them for hours. They, uh, they, um, and, and what their fundamental role is is to pick, pick up different... Uh, Types of steel with different properties, and to weld and, and, and to weld them together into a highly automated way. And um, and the reason why a car company would do this is that they can take material for different weights and different um, and different mechanical properties to optimize the weight of a vehicle. As you yeah. say, you go in there, and it does look as if you know we're really in the 21st century. Mm. It is an incredible place, and for those who ever get the opportunity, I would very very much encourage you to do so. But you know, in the current times, Malcolm, the automotive sector is a key part of your business. But of course, it's uh, it's in not a good place at the moment. And, uh, you know, you've got an extensive uh, network of tiered suppliers as well as the car makers. But that, that business must have all but dried up, isn't it? How has that affected you? Yeah. Um, look, I think um, we're uh, sort of, I suppose, six weeks into the into the real crisis. And uh and it, you know, really has been a you know terrible time, and um, um, you know, right, right, right across the country. And I think it's been, uh, um, I think it's been frightening also for people who, many of whom have their sort of uh, members of their family affected. So, so we're in this background, and and it's just just decimated certain industries. So, um, just to, again to give you, just to give some numbers, we we normally sell fifty thousand tons a, a month from the uh, from our sites. 
but we only sold one third of this in in April. So I think we've probably been more affected than anywhere else. And I think that's because we are so close to the market. And when we operate with such short lead times, I think it affects us the most. And I think that's always been the case. Mm -hmm. And many of our customers have simply shut. Um, uh, They've shut for April and some of them are shut, uh, shut through May. And that's what a large, a large number of the OEMs have done. So you know, very tough when you see your order book f- fall away so substantially. So we, we were facing um, in back end of March and, and early April this really significant drop in demand. I think it's also fair to say increasing anxiety amongst our employees. Um, yeah. You know. Who, who were concerned about um, COVID-19, and rightly so. So we took the decision that we would um, furlough as many people as we possibly could um, and to have as many people as we possibly could working from home. So um, at, at its peak, uh, uh, Tim, we, we've furloughed uh, more than half of our employees yeah. um, because in some areas of activity, we just had no activity. Our automotive mm. um, site was has not produced anything in April. Um, so that's something that we felt we needed to do as many people as we can working from home and many people as we could away from the site when we had no demand and then spending the time working on your uh, on your processes to make them as safe as possible. Yeah and how have people taken that? It's quite a difficult situation uh, for, for yeah, all I think look firstly um, I, you know if you'd have asked me um, two months ago, that uh, we could sell a, um, you know, thousand fifteen hundred tons a day of steel with having virtual, virtually no office workers on site, and uh, and operate everybody operating um, with staggered shift and working at two meter safe distance. I said that we couldn't do it. So the but the reaction of the teams has been um, fantastic, um, and my admiration um, for everyone is uh, is genuine seeing great cooperation great leadership um i think on one of the previous podcasts um bill duckworth mentioned leadership um in in, it, in all its widest sense and we've seen leadership from employees and unions as well as staff we've seen great innovation so people finding solutions to difficult problems and we've seen great pride and we've actually seen really good performance so yeah. i think things are very positive you know we set up covid committees on each of our sites to deal with the concerns that people had and just tried to make these uh, to make our sites as safe as possible um and always trying to go beyond what we needed to do um yeah. and to ask the question do you feel comfortable is there any more that we can do but you know the adaptability flexibility of the teams i just couldn't compliment um high enough um, and that includes the people who are at site and the people that are working from home um, with all the challenges that they have. Yeah. And it's a common story we hear for, from site after site about how people are, you know, really, really standing up and, and being counted and, and, and doing what's required in, in such difficult times. But I guess, we, you know, trying to look forward a bit more, but you, you mentioned a whole range of sectors and thousands of customers. Does that variety protect your your business a, a little bit, or are you just getting it from every angle? Um, it it um, look it, it has its um, being very close to the market. As I said, I, we we had the immediate impact, and uh, automotive and heavy vehicles are, are really key sectors for us, and they've been hit hard. 
um, because they have their own challenges about how to manufacture cars and uh, other earth moving equipment um, whilst maintaining social distancing. So, um, and there's nothing you can do about it in the short term. Um, we, we do see some sectors that are more robust, you know, for example, yeah. agricultural in particular is very robust. Um, and we see some areas of construction uh, also. Um, we also see um, some customers of switching what they do. And again, they've shown incredible flexibility. So, um, you know, we, we've seen uh, customers that made, were making prison doors suddenly make hospital doors. And uh, and we see uh, other plants turning to make the uh, equipment that goes into ventilators. So, yeah. um, and, and even in the Nightingale hospitals that have been uh, built with supplied materials that have gone into doors, beds, structures, and ventilators. So it's really important that you, you take advantage of all those things. Yeah, I've been also amazed um, at how many customers have written to us to say that we need you, uh, we need you to stay operational uh, because we're supplying this hospital contract, we're we're supplying this particular food processing company, we're supplying this particular this particular agricultural company. So we've had loads and loads of letters saying, look, it's really important for you to stay with us. And I'm very proud that we have. Yeah, that's excellent. And it does underline the essential nature of the manufacturing industry in the UK. And I think you know, the government's been uh, being quite vocal in that. So now at the beginning, Malcolm, when you were describing your organisation, uh, you described it operating across you know, four countries. And uh, you know, I'm kind of wondering whether that presents its own challenges. You talked about all this social distancing and measures and you know, taking the lead from government on legislation. But, you know, as, as director of that business in four countries, you've got you, you've got devolved powers in Wales and devolved powers in Ireland, uh, in Northern Ireland. You've got the Republic of Ireland and you've got uh, the UK government in England. Has that been a struggle or was it pretty consistent, the guidance? Um, I think it's actually not um, it's, it's not been too, too difficult, really. And I think there are a number of reasons for, for, for that. I think the first one is we're always trying to do, you know, to do things to the highest standard that we possibly can. So, and, and that tends to work for all those countries that, that that we operate in. Perhaps the biggest difference, and it's not so much an operational issue, but a market-related issue, is that in, in Ireland, our um, business there is based in Lisbon, and um, about half the market's in, in the north and half the market's in the Republic, but the Republic went on lockdown Two weeks before the north, and it it was also um, in, in much tougher, where they really, really did uh, restrict economic activity. So we saw we saw this real close down of of, uh, of our business uh, supplying uh, the north into the Republic of Ireland. So so that, that was probably one effect. It was not so much a production effect, but a, but a sort of a demand effect. And I think the other thing is that I feel that it's good, it's great to be part of a large company under these circumstances because we have really good. Um, health and safety fora across the company. We have good um, fora for uh, discussing particular issues, and I think that um, sharing um, sharing all of our experiences across all our sites in the UK helps you to learn and and helps you to keep the standards uh, high because there's a lot that we can actually learn from each other. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure there absolutely is, and I think uh, uh, when we look back at these times, I think we'll we'll appreciate some of those things even more. I guess so. Um, now, you know, moving to, to, to sort of wrap up a, a little bit, but look into the future a bit more. And I'm, I'm going to ask you an almost impossible question, I guess, about, you know, when you look at some of those sectors that have hit you hard uh, and have resulted in you having to furlough employees and, and pause lines. You know, any signs of those coming back or warming up or, 
you know, when 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 are you hoping that things start to to turn around a bit, Malcolm? Um, if if if, uh, if only to have a crystal ball. <laughs> yeah. um, look, I, I mean, ultimately, um, you know, we're very keen to see everybody that's working on furlough back in the business, and and I think that that all of the team uh, miss them and miss the interaction with them. So yeah, and and I think that. When they're all back, we, we know that um, things are much improved and demand is back and we're back selling uh, 12,000 tonnes a week. Um, so that's ultimately where, where we're trying to get to. But it will be in a step-by-step uh, way. Yeah. But I think people should be encouraged to know that we're already starting to bring some people back. Um, so having shut the automotive business for all of April, we've turned the lights back on this week. Mm-hmm to supply Taylor welded blanks for uh, BMW and that we can see that some of the uh, some of the first tier suppliers uh, into um, in, in, into the automotive companies into the UK are starting to open up in the next uh, uh, week to two weeks so that's good news we've got some good customer specific demand um, in our profiling business so um, we've had uh, uh, been increasing the numbers of people back on that site for some time now yeah and um, and our business in Lamwern, we um, we've we've we did reduce activity to, to a single shift, and now we're going to bring um, a second shift back on, and that's to cope with you know improved demand, but also um, in in the way that customers are choosing to order order from us at the moment, which is very small quantities and perhaps more perhaps more frequently. So um, you know have, having that extra shift on enables us to to have the capacity to sell more and I, I hope that we're able to either react to demand or respond to demand or stimulate demand and that will bring people back to work on a on a, on a gradual basis because I think April was the low point for us in sales you know one one third of our sales and I think month by month we'll see uh, we'll think we'll see recovery I think it'll be cautious uh, Tim because I, I don't think customers really know where where they are yet yeah. but it has good news that they're beginning to open little by little and I think we'll see that reflected in our sales. Yeah and you mentioned at the beginning Malcolm about being at the sharp end being a part of Tata Steel that's closest to our customers and you know you're first to be hit because you're so close but you know you'll also be first to come out of it and and I guess when we do think about coming out of it you know you're at the the, one of the long legs of the business the part of the business that that adds value and do you think that that the fact that you are that sort of added value piece of the organisations means your recovery will be quicker when we come out. Yeah, look, I, look I, certainly we've, we've been hit the hardest, so and, and and the quickest. So I think that our recovery will 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 start uh, elsewhere, um, and you know, but it but it but it will be challenging. But I think that we are. Um, in a good position to uh, to take advantage of whatever whatever the market looks like. You know, we have got some really good people, we've got some fantastic equipment that, that we've described. And I think we've done quite a lot in the last few years in terms of working with our footprint and restructuring to, to make ourselves competitive. So I think we're in the, the, the best position that we can be to take to take advantage of the marketplace. They won't bounce back. But we, we, what we have to do is to work very smartly uh, to find new markets, to find the customers that are doing well out of the decline, and to make sure that as the big car companies, as the big heavy vehicle companies come out of the, the period of making no materials, that we're able to, to respond to all of their demand 
um, and whatever form that comes at us. Yeah. Now, Malcolm, I'm very, very grateful for your time again today. It's a fascinating story, uh, you know, going back in history and then and then fighting your way through the current times. But very conscious, you've still got lines to run across your business and customers to be served. So, you know, I'm going to let you get back to that and really hope that, you know, when things warm up again, we can come back uh, and maybe speak to you face to face next time. So thanks very much for joining us today. Uh, Tim, and yeah, thanks. Just, if I could just say a couple of um, words before before I go, look, um, it's just really to to, to thank all, all of uh, all of the team at distribution for um, for for their their amazing uh, cooperation, resilience, determination through this um, through this time, and uh, just to wish them and 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 their families um, all the best. And they were looking forward to um, getting back together and seeing more of each other on a face-to-face basis. Excellent. Thanks very much, Malcolm. So that was the view from the UK and Ireland distribution business. Clearly one of the more challenging stories we've heard in recent weeks. But if you can raise your line of sight a few degrees, focus on those things that give some hope and think about the art of the possible, then there is a light at the end of the tunnel. If today's podcast made you prick up your ears and got your steel industry juices flowing, why not subscribe to Steelcast on Apple, Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts from. You can listen to previous episodes from around the UK and hear more from proud and passionate steelworkers. See you next time when we delve into another part of one of the UK's longest standing, most essential and best loved industries.